Good morning. Cultivate. I hope that over these last weeks that you have been considering and pondering the opportunity that we have to cultivate life, to cultivate salvation, to cultivate belief within ourselves, within our families, within this church community that we live in and and in our neighborhoods. Have you taken time to ponder and to reflect on what it means to cultivate? Oh, wasn't it beautiful to see our children up leading us in worship this morning as they are are being cultivated in in faith and in salvation. They're being cultivated to, to worship and to share and to learn about Christ. I hope that you are, will take a brochure that Suzette mentioned about our summer ministries. Is that's one of the ways that we cultivate belief and salvation in the lives of children and their families is through our summer ministries. Yesterday, in fact, several of the children that, that sang this morning and led in worship uh, are involved in our upward basketball ministry. And yesterday I had the chance to go and to, to share devotions during the half times of, of our upward games. And as family after family after family came into the Life Center, it was, it was remarkable. It was incredible for me to realize how we as a church are cultivating stories of salvation in so many families in our community, through Upward Basketball and through the, the various ministries we have for children, and to be able to share from Scripture yesterday and encourage those families as they're teaching and instructing their children in the ways of the Lord reminds us of our privilege we have to cultivate, to cultivate stories of salvation in each other's lives choir and orchestra, you, you do more than just lead us in worship on Sunday mornings. And you do that very well. But, but as you meet to practice and share your life together, to rehearse, you, you get to cultivate, cultivate belief and share your stories with each other. Cultivate life together. And it's exciting is that, that witness and testimony beyond just leading us in worship through your, your musical gifts, how you share that testimony And that witness with us each Sunday as you cultivate stories of salvation and of belief in life with one another. In your life groups, as you go, as you commit each Sunday to to being there, to pray together, to to study God's word together, you are cultivating your stories of life and of salvation, of belief with one another. It's an incredible privilege that we have to do that and to share that with each other. On our picture here, again, go back to our children. We see in our bulletin, as we've shared over the last week, the different ways we are cultivating belief and stories of salvation. Vacation Bible School is one of those incredible ways that we were able to do that with our children and their families. Over these last weeks, we've been reflecting on Cornelius and the story of salvation that Scripture shares with him. And last week, if you turn to Acts chapter 10, last week we, we, we kind of left that story or we came to the, the conclusion of that story and we left excited, we left celebrating because Cornelius and his family, this Gentile family, had heard the story of Christ and believed 
And the Spirit of God fell upon them, and they were baptized. And Peter had decided to stay around for some extra days to teach and to, to cultivate belief in Cornelius and his family at a deeper level. And we rejoiced and we celebrate this story of salvation. But guess what? Peter stayed, but others left. And word began to get around of what had taken place in Caesarea. Now if you remember, as we reflect on chapter 10, the, the incredible work of God that, that, that stirred and that brought Cornelius and Peter together. How in a vision, Cornelius heard from the Lord, an angel of the Lord, that he was supposed to, to call and to invite Peter to come and to speak and to share a message with his family. And how Peter was just a, a few miles away, relatively speaking, and, and how Peter had had a vision. A vision that began to break down the barriers between races and cultures and, and different peoples that had built walls and barriers to separate themselves how God had brought them together, cultivating belief, cultivating salvation, cultivating life. And here we are in chapter 11. Have you ever heard the saying, something like this, what happens here stays here? Certainly that can be a reminder of confidentiality. You know, whatever we say here in this group stays here in this group. We want to be able to trust and to, uh, to have confidence and faith in each other that, that we can share from our heart. We can make ourselves vulnerable and that won't spread like wildfire in our community. So what, stay, say, what, what we say here stays here. But on the other hand, that phrase has come to mean something else in our culture too, hasn't it? Oh, what happens here stays here. A license to sin, a license to do whatever we want to. Hey, while you're here in this place, you can do whatever you want to and no one's ever going to find out. No one's ever going to know. So, so just go for it. Well, the Scripture's clear that our sin... Will find us out. And that what we do in the darkness will eventually come to light. And many have been burned by this idea that what happens here stays here. Well, something like this is going on in Caesarea. Again, Peter has stayed a few days to, to teach Cornelius and his family, but there have been those outside of that circle, maybe that were there in that, that event, at that, that sharing, and it heard about what was going on. And guess what? Before Peter could get back to Jerusalem, the folks back in Jerusalem, the Christian Jews back in Jerusalem at the, the, the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem had gotten word that Peter had gone and had supper at Cornelius' house and had actually gone into his home and had fellowship with him. And we don't do that. What happened in Caesarea didn't stay in Caesarea. It beat Peter back. 
And so Peter is called in. He's called in to the, to the church leaders. Well, I thought Peter was the church leader. He, he was, but they got word of what had taken place in Caesarea. And, and it had gone against some of their beliefs and their practices. And they had to invite Peter in. And, and they said, Peter, defend yourself. Tell us that what we've heard isn't true. Peter... You did what? And so Peter is there before the church and before the leaders in Jerusalem and begins to, to tell the story. And he begins to share of, of his vision. And he shares of Cornelius' vision and, and that God had brought them together. And God had brought them, Peter, to, to Cornelius and his household and yes, it was true. The rumors were true. He'd, he'd gone into Cornelius' home, his living room. He'd sat around his table. He'd eaten unclean things. He had had fellowship with unclean people. Peter, what were you thinking? For you see, the party of the circumcision, the, the, the old time Jewish people who had become Christians were still struggling with what it meant to be in Christ. And you see, they believed and they thought with all their heart that in order to become a Christian, you must first become a Jew. Do you hear that? In order to become a Christian, you first had to do this. You first had to become a Jew and embrace the Jewish practices and, and rituals and customs. And then we wonder why Cornelius remained a God-fearer. He wasn't ready or interested in becoming a Jew. And then we wonder why people don't come to our churches. Because we, we have our rituals and our customs that people don't understand that have grown out of, of tradition and years and years of being together. And folks on the outside don't understand. I remember a few years ago, some of you may remember this, we were trying to invest and invite younger folks to be on, on some of our committees and leadership teams. And so we would go to them and we would say, we really want you to pray about becoming a member of our church. And, and they would say, well, what, what exactly does that mean? Well, it means you can come to our church conferences and you can vote and you can be on our committees. And they would look at us and say, really? I, I don't need to do that. <laughs> Why would I want to become a church member if that's what it means? But oh, church membership means so much more. Becoming a part of a church family. And that's what we have to communicate. And that's what we have to share with people that don't know our customs and our language. We must invite people to come and be a part of family. Peter continues with the story in verse 12. He said, after I had my, my vision, the Spirit of God told me to go, to go to to Cornelius' house without any hesitation or any misgivings. And Cornelius had sent his servants to, to Peter and, and, and they arrived at that moment when Peter was trying to discern what God was doing in his life. 
And so Peter went to Cornelius' house for Peter understood that salvation could not arrive. Salvation could not come to Peter, excuse me, to Cornelius and his family until Peter arrived with the good news, with the gospel. Look at verse 12. The Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. It's interesting that in Egyptian law, if you had seven witnesses, then you proved your case. It's interesting that in Roman law, there were seven seals that were required in order to authenticate an original document. Here, Peter says, we seven witnesses will share with you what God has done. And there are seven of us. So therefore, what I'm about to tell you is fact and truth and cannot be questioned. And we began to tell them the story of Jesus. And the Spirit of God fell upon them. And they were baptized. I didn't do anything, Peter saying. This is what God did. God brought his spirit down upon Cornelius and his family when we shared and we preached the good news of Christ. You see, the spirit of God falling upon Cornelius and his family was the verification that Peter had correctly interpreted what the spirit of God was doing in their lives Peter obeying the Spirit's invitation was validated when the Spirit of God fell on Cornelius. And so Peter sharing this story. We went because God called us. We shared the good news of Christ because God called us to and, and gave us the opportunity. And God fell upon the people and salvation came to Cornelius and his people. Who was I, Courtney, excuse me, Peter would say in verse 17. Who was I, he would say to this group of elders and leaders in the Jerusalem church. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? I was just the messenger. I just went because God had called me. And behold, look what God has done. And later in verse 18. When they heard this, when the church heard this, when the leaders heard this, they quieted down. They were silent because they realized what God had done. The Gentiles had experienced the manifestation of the Spirit in their lives in the exact same way that the Jews had. And they couldn't argue against that. The, the, the testimony was before them. What could we do to stand in God's way? except to baptize these new believers, these ones who had found Christ Jesus as Lord and as Savior. And the church got quiet as they reflected, as they tried to understand what God had done and what the Spirit of God was doing. And then the Scripture says in verse 18, they quieted down and. I think there was a, a, a big pause there between that and and what happened next. And then they began to glorify God. They began to glorify God saying, well then, God has also granted to the Gentiles 
the repentance that leads to life. They got it. They understood. They saw that that the Spirit of God had come to the Gentiles. And instead of being critical and condemning that, and yes, they had to work that out in more and more ways, as we see in chapter 15. But for now, they understood. And they began to glorify that God had come to the Gentiles as well. Here's an interesting observation this as we look at that story in that passage. Now certainly they, they, there was concern and they, they had every right to hear the story and to, to hear what God was doing from Peter. And Peter was eager to share the story and the, set, the other six witnesses to verify what God had done. But isn't it interesting that when their criticism ceased, their worship began. Boy, it's easy to criticize. It's easy to say, Peter, what happened in Caesarea? Instead of saying, Peter, tell us the good news of of what happened in Peter. We've heard stories, but come and tell us what God has done amongst the Gentile people. And the tenor of this gathering is, is critical, is doubtful. When we cease to criticize... Worship flows much easier. For you see, it's easy to criticize. There's always something to complain about. Especially when there's more than two or three people together. Especially when there's a congregation of people, whatever size. There's always something to be critical of. But a critical spirit hinders worship. And a critical spirit hinders fellowship and a critical spirit hinders the possibility of what God wants to do new and fresh among a people. Church, may the Spirit of God flow from our worship and our our study and our fellowship with one another. And may those not be opportunities for criticism to come in and destroy and divide. The Jerusalem church finally got it and understood that salvation was for all. Interesting here that that salvation that God had granted to them, the gift of life, the gift of salvation that comes through repentance. We need to spend a few moments on this word repentance because my fear is in in so many places in in our churches today is that we preach a gospel of salvation without repentance. Repentance involves a change of heart and a change of mind that results in eternal life. When we repent, we turn away from our sin. We empty ourselves of our brokenness, our broken spirit, our broken mind, and we make room for the Spirit of God to come into our lives and for the mind of Christ to fill our minds and transform our minds, to fill the brokenness within And to bring His healing power and wisdom into our lives. Repentance is not a sledgehammer that we hover and carry over people to beat them down with guilt and shame. Repentance is a release from sin and guilt and shame. It's a turning from that. 
It's a recognizing the own, our own sin in our lives. And instead of us having to bear the guilt and shame of that, we, we turn that over to Christ. We turn that over to God. We turn our backs on that. And we repent and we turn to God. And He releases us through the power of Christ, through the gift of His salvation. He releases us from that sin and from that guilt and from that shame. And the Jerusalem church realized in Cornelius that now the Gentiles also could experience the repentance that leads to life. I think of the parable of the sower that Jesus told. Repentance is the breaking up of the hard ground of our lives. Repentance is the pulling of the weeds from our lives that, that choke out the gospel and the good news of Christ. Repentance is the, the throwing away and the throwing out of the rocks of our lives that keeps us from building roots in Christ Jesus. Repentance is what tills the ground and makes room for the Spirit of God to come into our lives so that we might begin to experience the fruit of God, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Remember Galatians 5, and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this is the fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives as we repent as we turn to Christ and receive His gift of life. In John 10.10, Jesus proclaims, I have come that you would have life, and that you would have it abundantly, that you would have life in all of its fullness. Yes, salvation is about a quantitative expression of life. It's, it's about a quantity of life. It's about eternal life. But salvation... Life is also about a qualitative need or expression, a qualitative fulfillment of life in this place. For you see, Jesus comes not just that we would have eternal life, but that we would have life in all of its fullness today, now. And this is the good news of Christ. Another observation from this story as we look at chapter 10 and, and chapter 11, Peter retells this story uh, at least twice. I'm sorry, Luke retells this story at least twice in presenting Acts. Did you know that I believe it's Luke and Acts? Luke wrote Acts. Luke wrote Luke. That Luke and Acts are the two longest books in the New Testament. The scholars say that the reason that there's two of them is because you can only fit one in one scroll. And that each of them kind of maximize the length of a scroll. And so as, as Luke is putting together the book of Acts and he's thinking about how much information he needs to put and all the information that he could put in there, I find it fascinating that he tells this story at least twice in chapter 10 and 11 and re recounts the, the visions and the dreams that are had at least three times. Why, why is... is Luke spending so much time in retelling this story over and over again. Well, what's the point or purpose? So I hope, I hope as we've talked about Cornelius and his family story of salvation, something is triggered in your mind. Why is this story so critical and so important? Let me share a thought. I think this story is so critical, so important, because it is a critical hinge point 
in the history of Christianity. This is the key story in the telling of the birth of the early church and the work of the Spirit of God. This is the critical hinge point of the gospel, of the mission of the church to be fulfilled in transforming the the world and not just remaining an expression of Judaism. The kingdom of God is for all men and for all women. It's not just for the Jews. And this is the critical story that proclaims that. And Luke wants to make sure we understand the importance and significance of this moment in the history of the church, in the history of the gospel. The story of Cornelius and of his family, their coming to faith in Christ, makes it possible for the fulfillment and the realization of the Great Commission that we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Look at Acts chapter 1. It's not for you, in verse 7, it's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria. We see Samaritans coming to faith in chapter 8. And now in chapter 10, the Jews, I mean, the Gentiles coming to faith and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And from chapter 10 and 11 on, the fulfillment of the Great Commission is possible because the Spirit of God has come to the Gentiles and they didn't have to become Jews first. They could simply receive the Spirit of God. And I believe it's in chapter 13. We're in chapter 11. In chapter 13, The great missionary movement begins and Paul and Barnabas begin their first missionary journey to share the gospel with the Gentile people that they will meet. Church, we are called to cultivate life to the farthest parts of the earth. We'll be faithful will we understand that this story is the pivotal point in Christian history for that to happen. As we reflect over Cornelius and his, his story, as we look at the first part of the book of Acts, let me draw your attention to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter says that we're to repent and each of you to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit On this next slide, I want you to kind of see this this idea, this progression of what what does it mean to cultivate life? The first step, as we see throughout the book of, of Acts, is this idea of repentance. We have to repent and turn from our sin, receive the the Spirit of God comes, and then we believe. In Acts chapter 238, it speaks of the forgiveness of sin. In Acts 10, the story of Cornelius, verse 43. The scripture says, of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. I think that passage, that Cornelius story, helps us to better understand Acts 2.38. So to cultivate life and salvation in others, there's the step of repentance, but also the step of belief, which results in the forgiveness of sin. Repentance and belief then become, it seems, it appears the the trigger, the opportunity maybe for the Spirit of God to come into our lives. And then as a testimony of that, the proclamation of that, then we receive baptism. 
to proclaim and to share what God has done. Church, we are called to cultivate life, to lead others to repentance and belief, to receive the Spirit of God, and to testify to Him and proclaim Him through baptism. As we grow young in our church, as we talk about that, we are called to cultivate stories of salvation. So what does the story of Cornelius and his family mean to us? Certainly it means, as we talked about a few weeks ago, that, that we must constantly work against the racial prejudices and stereotypes of our culture. The gospel is for all people of all races, of all cultures, and we must combat the artificial walls and barriers that are placed between ourselves and between others. But I also think that we can gain other insight as we seek to grow young. For you see, in order to grow young, we as a church must overcome the quote-unquote dietary and circumcision laws of our day. Peter knew exactly what the points of contention were with the religious leaders back home, eating the wrong food and fellowshipping with the wrong people. But he had a conviction from the Spirit of God that he must go and enter fellowship and enjoy meals with Cornelius and his family. Church, if we want to grow young, we must ask the Spirit of God to help us become aware of the artificial laws between the generations. Can't you just hear the leaders of Jerusalem saying, well, if we let those Gentiles in, things around here are going to change. Praise the Lord. Yes, church, if we grow young, we will be changed. But if we're going to reach a new generation for Christ, this is the work that we must commit ourselves to. Cultivating stories of salvation for young and for old alike. Doing that through worship, through life groups, through our ministries. Simply by sharing life in conversations with one another. How are you cultivating life? How are we cultivating life? How is God cultivating life in you and in me? Let's pray.